0: Let's pray as we begin here uh, today. And so, Lord, really, as we receive again uh, from your word, uh, we invite you to deepen us and send our roots deep in you. Let these seeds, Lord, find great soil in us. Remove all the thorns and rocks and, uh, in our lives right now. That again, Lord, that we would receive you and, and so richly that we would be a blessing to people Uh, not simply here in Queens, but around the world with our lives, and that the fruit of what goes on here in this place uh, would really bring fruit that would last in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now, before I read the text, let me tell you a story about a fellow named Jake Porter. Jake uh, is from southern Ohio, and he has what's called Fragile X Syndrome, syndrome, which means he is uh, mentally challenged. And uh, he's 17, and but was 17 at the time. It was 2002, October 18th, when this event took place. He, for years, uh, was in special ed, obviously in his high school. Became friends with the, with the football coach, and his life dream uh, was he would always suit up, you know, every game, uh, and be with the football team at uh, Northwest High School. And it was the last game of the season, and the coach really wanted to do something nice for Jake. And so they were playing another team from a different part of Ohio that was like one of the best teams in the States and they knew they were gonna get creamed. They were gonna get beat quite badly. And so the coach asked, the other coach, hey listen, if you're beating us you know, badly, would you mind if we put Jake in the game? And, but we'll have him, as soon as he gets the ball, he'll just kneel down and you know, blow the whistle and that's it. You know." So the coach said, "You know, I think so, we'll see. It's you know? so anyway, it was, it was the end of the game and uh, they were winning 42 to zero. And so there was seconds left in the game, and the coach called the timeout, uh, Jake Porter's coach of his team, and he and the opposing coach met at midfield, and they began to talk, and no one knew what quite was going on. And uh, you know, the other coach said, okay. Uh, and so they went back to the huddle, and, and Jake went in the game. And, of course, now all the, the, the crowd on their side all stands up from the high school, and that's was a big moment. So, you know, they call the play, and uh, the quarterback hands the ball to Jake. And he was, they would practice all week that Jake would, you know, kind of get on one knee, you know, and then the whistle would blow because he wouldn't get hurt. And, uh, you know, he'd be happy. And it'd be a great day. But so he kind of goes. He doesn't quite get there fully. And the whistle doesn't blow. And all the t- his teammates start to say, run, Jake, run. And the opposing team starts to yell out. They, 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 kind of, they kind of part ways. And he actually starts running the wrong way. And, and, they, and they, they straighten him out. And say, and the other team kind of parts, like the parting of the Red Sea. They open. The opposing team opens the line, if you know football. And, and it's, 50, it's 49 yards to the, to the touchdown. And they say, Jake, run. And so, you know, he's disoriented, but he begins to run towards the touchdown. And it was incredible. Actually, it was an ESPN. It was a lot, at the time it came out, it was a big thing. And the, the opposing teams are chasing behind him, cheering him on to score the touchdown. And the great moments in, you know, American sports. We don't have a lot of great moments. It's a great moment. And you can imagine he scores a touchdown. He goes wild, you know, and they put him on, they put him on their shoulders. And they Jake, you know, and, and the crowd pours out of the stands, you know, to hug him and rejoice. And when I, when I saw it, I, I was like, wow, I mean, I, I, that, that's, that's the book of Genesis. That we're doing a series on Genesis, you know, God's invitation to a beautiful life. Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, and, you know, God invites us to a beautiful life. But most of us, when we get the ball of life, we just kind of kneel down, like blow the whistle, I survived, you know, I made it through life. And, and uh, you know, Genesis 1 is, is God is for us, and God loves you and loves me, and, and you know, we've messed up and screwed up and all that stuff, but, but, but he says, I love you and you're on my team, and I've got a life for you to live, I've got a touchdown for you to score, and I've got a destiny for you. And I'm for you. That, that's really it's a message of grace. You know, Jake received grace. And really, the beautiful message of the gospel is that in Christ, who lived and died for us, we, we look at us all in this room. You know, we, we receive his grace and mercy. And as much as we've messed up and run from God and, and lied and cheated and murdered people with our tongue, and, you know, God just, his grace pours out to us. And, and God says, I want you on my team. That's Genesis 1. You know, your Christian destiny and my Christian destiny you may not know it, but is a great one. And God loves us more than we love ourselves. Now, some of you say saying, that's not much. But God is closer to us, and he's closer to you than you are to yourself. Think how close you are to yourself. God's closer to you than that. And his love is so great. It's at work, even moving through your sins and your mistakes. He defeats them and somehow brings something good out of it as we offer it to him. And so today our text is, is Genesis 2, uh, 15 to 17. And, and, and actually, as we're in this little series, and I'm going to kind of continue next week into chapter 3, but, but I, I spent two weeks on this because it was such a huge, important text in Genesis 2, 15 to 17. So I want to read it. If you have your Bibles, open it up, So I'm going to actually refer to this and, and a little bit of chapter 3 as we move into text. And I want to begin reading at verse 15, all right, where it says, The Lord God took the man... And put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, the context of this verse is, beginning of chapter 2, is, you know, God creates the first human being out of the dust of the earth, and he breathes in them the, the breath of life. And God plants uh, the first humans in a place called the Garden of Eden. We don't know where it is exactly, but they're planted there. It's a garden, that says, in the east. And they are, they are, they are, there's four rivers in this garden that, that, that is tremendous fruitfulness, and they are given the command to work, and work is good. And they're given great freedom to take care of and, and guard the garden, and uh, there are two special trees right there smack in the middle, a tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, you're free. A tremendous freedom in your life. But there's this one tree right in the middle, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You must not eat of that tree. You are not to eat of that tree because the day you eat of it, you will die. And uh, so, so we talked about last week, the key to this text is getting that, 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 that Genesis calls us to a freedom and yet a stopping. There's a rhythm To Scripture, there's a rhythm to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. There's great freedom be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth in the work. But when they get to this tree, they are to stop. And we talked about last week, I was playing around with this, 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 this little rhythmic flow of Scripture. We're called to do, all of us, but we're called to let go. We're called to work, but we're called to Sabbath, rest. We're called to engage, but we're also called to surrender. We're called to be active, but we're also called to be contemplative. We're called to press forward, but we're also called to retreat. We're called to move, but we're also called to stop. We're called to drive, and we're called to allow. We're called to be intentional, we're called to be attentive. We're called to swim in the river. We're also called to float, let God carry us. We're called to live in the city, as an image of the Bible given to us, but we're also called to flee to the desert, like Jesus and Moses. We're called to make history and doing something with our lives, but we're also called to stop and breathe eternity. It's just an, and they, some of you say, All oh, right, that's different than last week. Yeah, I keep changing, the, you know, changing, you know. <laughs> I'm working on it. It's editing week by week. And, uh, but, it's, but I want you to get this image of rhythm. It's very, very important because, as, you know, as one theologian has said, you can look at the, 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 the original sin and what happened there in that garden. Yes, it's rebellion and independence and pride. But beneath it all was a refusal to accept the rhythm that God had laid out, which was this, to do and to let go. And for many of us, we just, in our pride, our independence, we just, we just ignore rhythms and we race because we're in control. And we like to run life. we like to know what's going on and we can't stop. Now, I, I, I've given two practical tools we've talked about in the, in the book of Genesis. One was from last week that we gave out. And actually, it's in your bulletin, surprisingly, this week, which is great, which is the daily office, which is a rhythm uh, and, and both the daily office and the Sabbath have a deep roots in the Bible as well as church history. And uh, the daily office is basically about stopping and pausing to be with God, not to get from God, to be with God. And as I've shared, I, I don't believe a quiet time in the morning for 15 minutes or a half hour is enough to keep us rhythmically aware of the presence of God as we work through the day. And so I've introduced this this, this rhythm of encouraging us to, to experiment with not just having one time alone with God and maybe you know, for like a short time in the morning, but actually trying to pause midday or maybe in the evening for two or three times a day and then you're going to get a rhythm of life in every day of being with God so that your day is punctuated with stopping for God so that you're aware of God 24-7. And then we've talked about Sabbath. We spent four weeks on stab, Sabbath which is a rhythm of God gives us of six day you shall work and one you shall Sabbath. We talked about Sabbath is stopping, resting, delighting, and contemplating. And I hope you were here for that series. If you're not, you get those tapes because Sabbath cuts to the core of our Christian lives right there in the 10 commandments, but it's a command for rhythm in our lives to not get swept away by the culture because the center of our lives is God, the living God. And we breathe his life. We're not visiting God once in a while. You know, he's our life. And so, in this text here, and actually some, sometimes the most, the most difficult thing we do and the most courageous act to perform is to stop and do nothing. And we will, not have, we will not live fully, says God, unless we have the courage to do less. And it's very difficult to do. So again, in our text this morning is we've got great freedom. And then right here in verses 15 to 17, this, this wonderful text, there is a limit right in the middle of the garden. There's a tree and God says, limit, you don't eat of this tree. And so today I want to take that apart about this gift of limits because no, no reason is given for this. No explanation is given. The tree looked good. It was going to taste good. It looked like it would be a fantastic thing to do. It looked like God's holding back on them by this limit. And uh, yet it was a great gift. So I, the reason, and I, I've preached on this before at different points, but this is a deepening issue for me. This is perhaps one of the greatest challenges in my relationship with God is receiving and stopping before God's limits that he sets before me. And uh, I believe, because uh, I, 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 like many of you, I hate it when God says no. I don't like it. And uh, a part of us hates limits. We just hate it. You know, I think of David when God, David wanted to build a temple in 2 Samuel 7. And God said to him, no, you're not building the temple. Your son will build the temple. I'm thinking, if I was David, I'd say, hey, I've been your king for 30 years. I'm working hard here, you know, and I want that that temple while I'm alive. And, uh, you know, but David doesn't do that. He's very, you know, wonderful, you know. I think of, you know, John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist had a huge, huge following. And then when Jesus Christ came along, People started to move away from John the Baptist and they go to Jesus. And in John 3, it says there was jealousy now. You know, John the Baptist's followers you like, hey, John, they're all going after this Jesus guy. And I'd be like, yeah, don't follow him. Stay with me. I mean, we've got a good thing going over here. But John says, you know, he, I must decrease, he must increase. A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You know, John's just incredible. You know, comes to that limit and does not eat of that tree. Jesus in the wilderness is tempted to go beyond the limits God the Father had given him. Remember, he's in the wilderness, he's hungry, he's not eaten for 40 days. The devil comes and says, turn his stones to bread. I mean, sure, Jesus, would have word, bum, bread, you get a feast. But it was a limit by the Father, do not do it. Just because you can do something does not mean God wants you to do it at all. And maybe the devil himself having you do it, even though you can do it. And then three temptations. And Jesus, it was a limit by the Father not to cross that limit. And Jesus, our second Adam, is obedient and does not do it. And, uh, you know, have great fruit. So... So this is such a large issue. I mean, this is so core to the Christian life. I, mean, I thought Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 are such important chapters. In a sense, all of Scripture is found in these, you know, all the major themes are in these first few chapters. And limits is such a key issue to receiving, which is our title, a beautiful life from God. You know, I want to try to, like, you know, take it apart for you here. Uh, some examples of our limits, all right, and and just to kind of give you a sense of what we're talking about here, this is kind of my expanded list, you know, for example, we all, we have limits of our physical bodies, and uh, do you realize your body will be dust someday? Now, I heard there's some bodies in outer space right now, frozen, hoping things are going to turn around, but uh, rather than accept our physical bodies and and the boundary of our humanity, what we do is we push, don't we? We push our physical bodies. We sleep less. We work like maniacs, and we're exhausted. Some of you right now—you are sleeping through my sermon. Okay, <laughs> you are tired, and you just don't sleep enough. You know, I've been following the steroid scandal of baseball. It's been fascinating for me the whole. If you follow baseball, Barry Bonds, and I mean, it's been—it's been amazing. But I realized that to see the opportunity to pump your body up with some steroids and juice to be able to hit significant home runs and break records. The temptation to say, I will, I will go beyond my body is so tremendous. And many of us do that in this room. I mean, then there's, then there's the example of our limits of marital status. I mean, if you're single, it's a limit. If you're married, it's a limit. So if you're here with your spouse, look at your spouse and say, you are a limit, okay? And, but rather than accept the limits of our singleness or, 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 or being married, uh, most of us are envious. We say, so if I was single, I want to be married. If I'm married, I want to be single. And uh, how many marrieds, you know, get rid of one spouse because of their limits and get another spouse, and they got they, you think they don't have limits, and you find out they do. And they get rid of that spouse and get another lim- spouse. I and mean, they don't have limits and just keep recycling spouses with limits. <laughs> then there's a, the family of origin limit. You know, I mean, we all come from families with limits, right? And, and, and our parents were, were, were broken like us. And so our, our families gave us Opportunities, but they also had great limits. Whether you had two parents, one parent, or no parents, and and uh, maybe you, you're adopted or you know didn't have never knew your biological parents. But again, regardless, rather than embrace the the gifts and the wounds that came to us through our families, we resent them. We get bitter at them, rather than see what's God's blessing and gifts coming through it, and how does He want to use it in my life? I mean, how about intellectual capacity? I mean, how many of us you know we're all we're all limited intellectually. But uh, rather than accept our intellectual limits, we, we, we fake it, you know, and we, we lie, and we, we, we want people to think we know more than we know, and uh, we throw it around, and we want people to believe that we're smarter than we really are. It's a great temptation. And uh, how about your talents and gifts, you know? And, and uh, you know, God gives talents and gifts out, but we all have very limited gifts, gift boxes, you know, and, and talents. And, and uh, you know, but let's face it, a lot of us, rather than embrace, rather than embrace our gifts and talents limits, We end up thinking, oh, I got 10. We only have six or five or three. And so we act like we have 10, and it ends up being a big mess. We realize I'm out on the limb here, and I don't even know, God's not gifted me for this. Or how about material wealth? You know, know, we have limited wealth. If you do not have limited wealth, you see me after service. I want to talk to you. (laughs) But wealth is limited. Again, rather than be thankful for what we have, very often we we continue to overspend and find ourselves in a hole and go past those limits. I mean, and the limits of material wealth, I I mean, I've known some people with tremendous resources financially, you know, multimillionaires, but you know what? When one of them had cancer as a young person, it didn't matter how much money they had. Limits of money could not spare their lives because God controlled that. And so there's limits in what what material wealth can do for anybody. And then you go on to relationships. I mean, all relationships are so limited. I mean, friendships struggle. Have you found that out? There's conflicts and betrayals and disappointments, and all relationships are limited. Every church is so limited relationally. When we get to heaven, it will be really heaven. Many of us are looking looking for a church where it's heaven on earth. Good luck. God bless you. You know? (laughs) No, no, no. Every, we are fallen creatures. Genesis 3, part of the consequences of the fall is relationships are difficult. And, but many of us, we resent that limit. And so rather, what we do is we're angry at people all the time. We, all, we always see the cup half empty, and we're disappointed in people, and we quit on people, and we get bitter towards people, and we leave them, and we move on. And how about our dreams and goals? I mean, we have, I mean, we all have, you know, dreams and goals, but there's limits of what we can fulfill and achieve. And I don't know too many people that get to midlife who have not realized I have, I, my, my limits and my, my goals and visions, a lot of them aren't going to happen. There are great limits in what we can do. But rather, what do we do? Rather than embrace our failures and learn from them and embrace our humanity, what do we do? We, we get angry. We get depressed. And how many folks by mid-age and as you get older, just, they're just angry, depressed people, envious of other people who did well. And rather than learn and receive a gift somehow in the limits, end up going the other direction. And some of us, we're perfectionists, and uh, we want everything perfect on earth, from people to jobs to church to friendships, and we're constantly frustrated. We demand, we go against these limits, and we demand that things are perfect. And so we're, we're, rather than rejoice in what is, we're consistently frustrated people, which is we walk around in frustration because we hate the limit of imperfection, and yet the world because of sin is imperfect. It will be perfect when we see him face to face. But until then, friends, there is imperfection in a world that's marked by sin. But we hate it. And so some of us here, we're super conscientious. We just keep getting angry with people and situations. God gives us all raw material. I mean, we have temperaments and personalities and, and uh, you know, motivations that motivate us. But we don't have others. But some of us, we don't like our raw material. We don't, we don't like it. I, I want to be more than I am. And so we get angry at our limits. And we go, rather than embrace them, we want to live somebody else's life. We don't want to live the life God has for us. We want someone else's that seems to be better raw material than I got. And we're constantly looking elsewhere to try to be somebody that God never made us. And 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 we buck against the limits. Then, of course, we have time. You know, your time is so limited. But many of you, you know, you're like me. We live in this room as if we're going to live forever. As if you've got all the time to figure out what's going on. You know, I'll get to God when I get to him. And, but just days go, waste time. Just not a sense of this is a gift from God. And if God doesn't keep you alive by tomorrow at 3 o'clock, goodbye. I mean, it's a gift that you're breathing today. And uh, you're aging. We're all aging. Do you know what's aging is a limit? I mean, it is a limit as we age. Because we have limited time on earth. And many of us, we fight it through whatever, plastic surgery, whatever we do. I'm not, I'm not against plastic surgery, you know. I'm... We got any plastic surgeons here? No, I get it. But um, but how many of us try to cram in 28 hours of activity in 24 hours each day? Not even leaving any time for sleep, because we we don't we don't accept our limit of time. So we're constantly overloaded with too much to do. We live that way because we we don't like the limit of time each day. We have to go to sleep. We have to eat. God just purposely puts us in a rhythm of sleep and awakeness that we have to stop. And yet our careers and educations demand that you push it as if you're not human. And uh, don't take your limits. I am mean, I go on. I got 13. I got two more. Children. I mean, those of you who are parents here, our children are limited. And, uh, but we, of course, want our children to be everything we're not. So rather than accept their limits, what do we do? We, we push them. We push them and end up loving them unconditionally. We don't love them for who they are. We love them for what we want them to be. And we push them to be more than, and maybe more or somebody different than God ever intended because we don't like their limits either and hate to embrace it. And we put yokes and burdens on our children sometimes that they were never meant to bear. And then finally, of course, there's just spiritual understanding, the limit of that. I mean, we're so limited in what we understand about origin of evil, what God is doing, why he's doing it. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God, Deuteronomy 29, 29. And uh, so what happens? We don't know what's going on, why God does doesn't? why do you allow this to happen in my life? So what do we do? We get, we get bitter, we get mad at God, we walk away for a while because we don't like the limits of our understanding. We, we resent it. And so we tell God, you know, you do this to me, I'm doing this back to you, and And uh, uh, we cross God's limits. Now, I can go on here, but you get the idea, don't you? When we cross God's limit, hear this now in the text. When you cross the limits God has given you, the consequences are deadly to you personally and to those around you and to the generations that will follow you. Do you realize Adam and Eve, they crossed that, God gave a limit, do not eat from this tree or you will die. They ignored it. I won't really, I won't be so bad. Ah, what's the big, everyone's doing it. No, no, no. We're still living with the consequences of them crossing that boundary. They are huge. When God says something, he really means it. Your word is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens, saying King David in Psalm 119. When God says you cross that boundary I put in front of you, you will die. There will be consequences of that. And some of you, as a person who's a great limit breaker, I know it's true. There is death that follows when we do it. So, I mean, our church is limited. Our church has great limits. We have great gifts, we have great limits. I used to think that there'd be churches where there were no limits. I mean, big enough church or rich enough church or whatever, different kind of people, they wouldn't have limits. I mean, no, no, even, quote, the greatest churches that exist have severe limits. Severe limits. But there's a gift in that limit, if we'll see it. Now, I'm going to give you what I believe are two here, for the rest of our time here together. Because God is inviting, in this text, you know, our first parents to, to, to surrender to him, to his love, and to receive a gift. This is an invitation to a beautiful life. There is something beautiful for us to receive. It's like Jake Porter running for a touchdown. But it's just so countercultural. It's so counterintuitive that I don't really fully understand everything about limits. I've been thinking about it for years, but I'm going to give you what I, what I think and believe are at least two huge gifts in limits. And there's probably more, but these are two big ones that I want to kind of expound on here this morning, all right? The first is this, the two gifts of God from limits. The first is that limits purge us. Now, now the word purge, for those of you who are you know, non-English speakers, you know what I mean? Purge is kind of like, like, really like Think of scrubbing a stain off a floor, man, it purge like like taking something out of you. It's not just like a quick you know vacuum. Purge is like like painfully pulling out of you something. limits pull something out and uh but but it's a good thing now, think of a parent with a child. I mean, you have a small baby i mean I, you know, when you were a baby you're, you're, whoever was taking care of you put limits all around you. You couldn't jump, you know, you couldn't jump down the stairs or eat all the wrong food or put glass in your mouth. Your parents are no, 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 no limits all over the place, right? As as a toddler, constant limits to keep that kid alive. And then of course, as a teenager, I remember, you know, my parents saying, you know, don't jump on moving trains. We used to it was train tracks. We used to jump on these moving trains in the back, you know. And don't drive drunk, don't do drugs, you know, don't don't quit school early, don't, you know, don't go play hooky, you know, sit in school and though you hate it, you know, and something good's going on there. Most of the time it was, you know? But I, you know. But those limits from those parents were a gift. I mean, uh, you, know, you probably read about people like Bill Gates and others who've got tremendous amounts of cash. They don't want to give that to their kids because they know if their children have limitless cash, it'll destroy them. And there's been many, many stories done of that. People who inherited large sums of money has destroyed their lives without the limits of having to manage a limited amount of cash. And so parents who overindulge their children I don't know if you're aware, but, but there there's two, two aspects of abuse. And there's been studies done on this. One abuse, of course, is neglect and, and the damage done you know, through physical or emotional sexual abuse. But the other abuse is when a child is overindulged excessively. And it so damages that child to be given everything they want in life, they grow up into adulthood seriously impaired and actually need professional help because they, they're so severely narcissistic. They can't function in a healthy way in life. They don't understand limits. And uh, could you imagine if if God gave you everything you've asked him for? I mean, imagine if every prayer you prayed, God said, sure. I mean, could you imagine? First of all, do you know how many people would be dead? We'd have dead people all over. I mean, God, thankfully, has limits all over us, you know, because he loves us. But you see, I'm, as a as a parent, I put limits on my children, but I'm wrong, you know, sometimes, and the wrong limit, wrong time, wrong attitude, right? But the beautiful thing is God puts limits on us, but he's perfect at it. You know, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, Luke 11, how much more does your father in heaven know how to give good gifts to those, you know, who are his, who seek him? And so God puts limits around, us, but he's, he's perfect at it. He's good at it. He, he, he's tremendous. And but something, not just purge anything, something, God knows, something inside of us is broken by limits. Something deep is yanked out of us. Something in our DNA changes. I, you know, it, it's purged. I, I don't know what to call it. Our willfulness, our stubbornness. Some of us, you know, our immaturity, our 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 need to control. Some of us we just we just want to control life. And we come up against a limit that we can't control. And we just, we just want to kill somebody. Because something rises up within us that just hates the idea of being stopped. That we can't go forward and, and conquer this thing and figure it out. Something deep in our arrogance and our, our pride gets touched with limits. That we just go crazy and do crazy things. Start blaming everybody. And uh, I mean, I think of Abraham and Sarah. You know, Think of Abraham and Sarah. Imagine. They had a child when he was a hundred and she was ninety. All right. Now, God had promised them that he'd be they'd be father and mother of nations, nations. They couldn't have one. They they couldn't the limit. Sarah couldn't have a child. So imagine she's eighty nine. She's not been pregnant yet. Eighty nine years old. Talk about a limit. And God and God changes their name to Abraham and, and Sarah, which means in Hebrew. His name was Father of Nations, and her name was Mother of Nations. Now, could you just try to imagine Christmas dinner? Okay? They don't have birth control in those days. All right? It's a big festival. All right? So all his friends probably got 10, 12 kids. All right? In ancient Near Eastern culture. All their kids have children. And those children have children. And those children have children. And they're at the big feast. And here's Abraham and Sarah. They don't have one kid. Okay, And they say, hey, what's your name? Oh, my name is, you know, father of nations. You know, <laughs> I mean, my name is mother of nations. I mean, humiliation of a limit that they can't change. Do you understand? He tried to do it in birthing Ishmael with Hagar 13 years prior because he got mad at waiting for the limit, and he crossed the boundary. And as you know, we still have the Arab-Israeli conflict to this day of him busting through that limit, not wanting to wait. And, but yet, what was God doing in Abraham? I don't know fully, but I do know this that God was pulling something out of him. I mean, Abraham's the father of Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. I mean, he's the father of us all, it says in Romans 4. I mean, mean, tremendous. But, but something happens with this, with this limits thing deep in us. You know, Richard Rohr has written, um, some of you know the name. Uh, He's written a lot on uh, men, the men's movement, masculinity. He's, He's a Franciscan. And uh, he's done a lot of study on on boys becoming men and male initiation ceremonies through history, very interesting, and does all these men's conferences around the country. And, and he wrote a, a book on it, and, 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 he, and, I, and I was fascinated by it, but he talks about five essential truths of life that come through if boys become men. Now, it's interesting, because he, our society, like, doesn't have an initiation for, like, a boy to become a man. When does a boy become a man? You know, we don't really, you know, bar mitzvah, perhaps, you know, somewhat, but, you know, Uh, in ancient times they'd these kind of ceremonies and they'd come through that's why for many of us in you know 50s 60s and 70s and 80s we're we're still not sure we're men yet we still feel like we're boys we haven't quite grown up and uh lots of confusion and so but it's interesting because he recommends that the church take hold and do something for young men to help them go through something some kind of a retreat something to say and, and help them get these five truths into them that will help them say okay i accept it i'm now a man but I, as I reflected on this, I think it applies to all spirituality for all of us men and women. It's so rich and, and biblical, what he, what he marks down here. And the first is that they, rec- they come through into manhood and they recognize, finally, life is hard. That's a, that's a difficult thing to accept. Life is hard. But that, that's the first thing. A man accepts when we're grown up, life is hard. And Genesis definitely says that. You know, secondly is you're not that important. I mean, you're important. God loves you and values you. But you know what? When you die, the world's going to continue. Don't worry about it. People's lives are not, the whole world's not going to stop. You know, if it stops for a day, okay, but then you know what? Things are moving on. Day two, day three, next week. And you're not that important. Number three is that your life is not about you. God put you on earth, not for you. God put you on earth to give something to other people. And you become a man when you realize you are meant to give something to other people. Your life is never to be self-absorbed. And fourthly is that you're not in control. You, you, You think you're in control as a boy, but you mature when you realize you're not. God's in control. You are not. There are so many things you can't control. There are so many limits before you. Then number five is you're going to die. You're going to die. You've actually embraced it, that you will die. And you live in light of that reality of the gift of time. And therefore, you invest your life in that which is important. You don't waste this precious life that God has given you. You now give yourself to mentor and develop other people. I just love the list. I think it's really rich. That's why it says in James chapter 1, verse 2, consider pure joy whenever you face trials of many time, kinds. You know that verse? Because you know the testing of your faith does what? It produces perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And, and, there's, and so there's these purging, these limits in our way. They're, they're trials and they're testings like Abraham had. I, I don't know. All I know is that limits break us like little else in life. They just break something inside of us that's deep and profound. All right. Number two is limits don't just purge us. They teach us. Now, when I say teach us, let me explain what that means. Now, you can learn something here and you say, oh yeah, God is love. Yeah, God is love. And you sing God is love. And that's good. But you don't really know it. I mean, you don't know it and when you know when things are going badly and it looks like God is not love you, you fall apart because you don't really know it yet you know it intellectually not experientially and god's goal is that we get truth of scripture in our in our hearts that we know it experientially limits like few other things enable us they teach us that god is good and his love endures forever it comes as we follow through on limits and stopping before them and trusting God, we learn some things and uh, that can't be learned, I think, any other way. And again, when God's word says in verse 17, you're free to eat from any tree, but don't eat from this one tree, he, he really does mean it. And the command for God is to wait. Now listen, you'll notice these verses here. When God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it, okay, that's, that's, a, that's a Hebrew word called, I don't know how to say it, samar, all right? Now that same word is used at the end of chapter three of Genesis, when after they sinned, God ejects Adam and Eve out of the garden. And he puts on the east side of the garden, he throws them out, he drives men out, and he puts cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. All right, God would not let them back in Eden. They were expelled, were expelled all out of Eden, okay? And they were called to guard the way to the tree of life. That's the same word in Hebrew for take care of. In other words, they were not just to work the garden, the better translation is they were to guard the garden. Okay, just like the cherubim were to guard anybody getting into Eden. They were, they were to guard it from what? They were to guard it from the intrusion of satanic, the satanic enemy, Satan. When, when, the, when, the, when the serpent showed up, the first thing they would they would have judged that serpent and throw him out of this garden of God. This was God's garden. This was a holy place. Okay, so there was a there was a, a def, there was something they were to do there. Now, what happens is uh you know, God allowed the serpent to show up into the garden. Now, just like God allows testing in our lives. Did you know that? God allows these testings to mature us and purge us and to teach us. God's on full control here. He's saying, why all this evil activity? Because God's allowing it to mature you and grow you up. Have no, make no mistake about it. God is on the throne. And he will not allow anything in your life that will be too much for you to handle. But he is, this is the way he's going to mature and grow you up into a woman, into a man of God. And so um, the devil comes as a serpent. Now, I'm going to just make a few comments about chapter 3, and we're going to go into it next week. But the devil comes in chapter 3 as a serpent, which is interesting. The devil is not the serpent, but he comes through the serpent. Just like the evil one comes into our lives through a whole variety of ways. All right? And what happens is he comes in, and his mission, the mission of that serpent, the devil, is to stop... Adam and Eve, to, to stop them from, from doing what God has for them and to make the garden, which is a place of joy and peace, chaotic and destructive, and to break off their relationship with God. Just you know that the evil one comes into your life to cut you off from your relationship with God, to take your life and instead of it being Eden, to make it chaos and to keep you from whatever, the mission God has for you, to cut you off from that and basically inoculate you and neutralize you. And so the devil comes, and his strategy is very simple. He twists God's word. And he says, hey. Oh, he twists God's word, and he clouds confidence in the goodness of God. It's very important. He says, hey, the devil says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He got of twist it a bit, you know. Ah, you won't die, he says in verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like god knowing good and evil you know you kind of twist it god's not good he wouldn't be holding what put that that limit in front of you and what kind of a god is that and so he undermines god's authority what what, what kind of god puts all these limits in your life and uh he's not good if he was good he wouldn't be putting these limits in your life and he says this god is unfair you got rights too don't you i mean my goodness he's so arbitrary why you and he paints, it's interesting, because the devil paints a falsehood, a complete falsehood, and he distorts reality. You ever find that? You don't know what's right, what's wrong, what's up, what's down? And it's interesting, because the devil portrays God as the devil, and the devil is God. And the God who is love and light, the devil paints as, no, your God is not love and light. Your God is hate and darkness. Don't listen to him. Eat from the tree. Gosh, it's going to ruin your life. In fact, if you keep following God, you'll never reach your full potential. You'll never be all you can be. You keep listening to him. Your God isn't good. You can't trust his love for you. Grab that tree before it's too late because life will just pass you by. and You'll be an old person, miserable at the end of your life. And Adam and like Eve, like us, they're attracted to the voice. They're like, yeah, maybe. And they get crazy like we do. And they they... They look at it reasonably. Now listen, reason is a good thing, right? We don't throw out our reason. But there's times when God has limits in our lives that don't appear reasonable. When his word has said some things and you can't reason this thing out. So I'm not saying reason's bad. We should use our reason. But there's times when God's word has said something it's not about reason anymore. And, and, you gotta, and, and, and basically, Adam and Eve at this point, based on reason, they say, look, they look at the tree and says, you know what? It's good for food. It's pleasing to the eye. It makes sense. What this serpent's saying, eat it. And then Eve eats it, and it's so interesting. She, she crosses the limit. And then she does what many of us do. She becomes a missionary. She becomes a missionary for crossing limits. Hey, Adam! You know, come on! And like, once you, you ever do this? You start crossing boundaries from God. You start sinning, and you're saying, who can I bring with me? Because you don't want to be alone. You know, you, you want to get some help. And so she's like grabbing others for this journey now of just crossing limits. You see, limits demand that we trust God, that He is good that His love endures forever. That's the bottom line issue: Is God good? But I can trust Him in this. And and the problem is, many of us we don't trust anybody. I mean, we're we've lived in New York so long that we just don't trust. We're like you know we we, we watch our bags you know like we lock our car. We're still not we're still nervous you know car alarm, dark windows, and we and then we've been betrayed. I mean, who hasn't been betrayed, you know? If you're over 30, 40, you've been betrayed at least a couple of times. You know, then you have the hard blows of life. Then you have family wounds You know, that come to us too. And you just, I don't know who to trust. Divorces, you know, I don't trust anybody. And so, and so, let alone, you don't trust anybody as it is. And now, here's God saying, trust me, even though you can't see me. And you're saying, no way. Judas did not trust Jesus. He, Judas could not understand the big picture, but there was a limit. There was a limit. This kingdom wasn't going to happen now. And he just said, you know what? I'm grabbing the tree, and I'm quitting. I'm out of here because this ain't working for me. And uh, you know what happens to him. He never, he never was purged, Judas, and he never was taught that God, he never got it, that God is good and his love endures forever because he couldn't, he couldn't it didn't make sense And so he grabbed it, and his life was a mess. You see, the core of the Christian life is this issue. God is good, and his love endures forever. And you cannot learn this experientially, lest you walk through this, and you're out there hanging by a thread. And unless God comes through, you're going to die. But that is the way he's going to purge you and mature you and grow you up. So that when you're in a difficult time and God says, I want you to do this, you're like, sure. Sure. Because God is good. I know his love endures forever. And I just surrendered to you, Lord. And you say, yeah, not my will, but your will be done, even though it's going to hurt right now. But I know you're good. And you're not a baby anymore. You've matured. You've grown up. That's why it's the core of the Christian life. You're actually going to start leaving life in the hands of God. And like John the Baptist, you're actually able to say, okay, so I've got a day to live. But a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. John the Baptist in John three 27, I'm actually content. A man can receive only what is given him from heaven No, you know if it's not given me from heaven i don't want it well wow, some of us we've been grasping our whole life now you're like I, I just want to receive what god's given me from heaven and that's my place of peace and so here here's but before i do i want to do an exercise with you in just a minute before i do i want to just say make like one little note here it's important that as we offer god our limits because I mean we have such limits don't we so many limits but as we offer them to god so often god does something incredibly miraculous but you see, he does it, not us. So like, think of like the whole. Think of all the stories in Scripture: the loaves and fishes. I mean, five loaves and two fishes. Boom! It feeds ten thousand people. I mean, a little limit, but he offers it to God. Think of David; it comes with a few stones. He's a young boy. He got Goliath in front of him, but he offers the stones to God, and God takes, them, and Goliath comes down. You think of the limits of Gideon. Gideon's got three hundred men, and God made sure he ended up with only three hundred. God forced him to limits. And he's facing 120,000 enemy troops, the Midianites. And now God says, Now I can do it. But he offers God, okay, here heard it. And God takes the limit, and God busts through the Midianites. You know, I think of someone like the 12 disciples. I mean, the point of the 12 disciples, they were nobodies. They were little, you know, country guys from the north of Galilee without formal education. You know, they, they, were, they, they, they couldn't do it to impact the empire, they, just, they didn't have it, they were so limited. Yet God took them and they actually think about it. You know, 300 years, the whole empire is now Christian, you know, and and tremendous impact worldwide. I mean, hey, go on, but the whole story of scripture is just God, Hosea, his wife, was a prostitute. I mean, my gosh. Talk about a bad marriage for for serving God. I mean, it's a mess, you know, and and yet God uses Hosea as a prophet for his day. You know, I think of Moses. He's 80 years old. He's washed up. He's murdered somebody. He's been a fugitive. He can't speak well. God's got to get Aaron to be the speaker because he's not a good public speaker. But he's so limited. He's 80 years old, and God says, just give me. He takes the limit of Moses, and he leads the nation out of Egypt to Israel. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, if we'll take the little bit we've got, God just somehow breaks through those limits. But first, we've got to let those limits purge us, everybody, which is painful. And then we let them teach us. As the Holy Spirit leads us, we don't cross that line, and we wait. So I tell you, just you think about Jesus for a minute. Jesus, God became a limited human being, a fetus and save the entire world dying on a cross. I mean, gosh, the gift of limits. There's a pathway that has a path of revelation that can come no other way. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to I have two questions for you, and I'd like you to, to just, I'm gonna give you a minute or two of, of silence. Let me explain it, and, and worship team, you can come forward. And you may want to journal if you've got a, pen, a paper here. And, and I want you to ponder, what is one major limit God has placed in front of you now? What's one? You may say, I have many limits. I know, but what's one major one that right now you don't, you just, you're bucking against it. And then the second question is, how might God be coming to you through that limit? He could be coming in so many ways inside of you, speaking to you. What's he doing? And, uh, you know, I put this little verse on the bottom, you know, from Hosea 2, 6, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so she cannot find her way. And this is in God speaking to Israel who constantly was wandering away. And God said, I put limits around you to get you back home, to get you to me. But you kept. And so God, for some of us, God has blocked our path. We keep driving to get something to happen. And God just keeps blocking the path. We just, we're like, and God, we try to go the other way. God walls us in there. Try to go over here. God walls you in here. Your whole life is limit, 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 limit. Because everything in you wants to run from God. Your your deep pride and independence is so heavy that God has just walled you in on all sides. Some of you know exactly, you know, that verse is right for you. So I want to do is just take a minute or two of quietness before God, and I want you to just bring this before him, okay? And ask this to God, the Holy Spirit, to speak to you. And you may not be sure why. You may say, I know what the limits are, but I don't know how God's coming to me through that limit. That's all right. But I want to invite you, because really the Christian life is one of worship, that God is good and His love endures forever. So I invite you, you put those words up, and let's all stand up. And I want us to do something corporately together. Israel was commanded to, to worship and sing to God, whether they were in the worst of times in exile or the best of times, celebrating that God is good His love endures forever. So even if your feelings are shot today, you know, and you're saying, you know, you're, you're like, I don't even feel God. That's okay, because we don't, we don't worship our feelings. We worship God. And he is good and his love endures forever, whether we feel it or not. It's true. And part of maturity is affirming and growing. And we sing these words and, and from our hearts, even though we don't know what's going on. I remember it's in those worst moments than the best purging is going on. It's amazing how that works. I want to invite you to join me and we're gonna sing this, you know, wonderful song about you are good old God. And that this would be our response, and we join with all those through the ages that our God is good and his love endures forever. As it says over and over again in Scripture. We will spend probably eternity understanding what that means, huh? Ten thousand years with him. We'll be saying, You are good, and your love endures forever, and we'll probably then barely understand it because it's so profound. So as we close here, the worship team or altar team is going to come over to your left. And we're going to stay here and worship, all right, and just be before God. So don't feel like you have to run out of here. We can chat outside and go downstairs and have refreshments and see Gigi and Rick upstairs. But let's let's inside here. Let's just be before God, all right, and stay in his presence. But listen, some of you, you know, your your wires are all twisted, you know, from trusting anybody, let alone God. And I I want to invite you, if you know your wires are twisted to trust and you're just suspicious and cynical, please you come and ask God just say God God rewires hard drives in a moment by the Holy Spirit say God just rewire me that I might be able to just surrender and trust you and then and then really I want to invite those of you forward that really that um, you're just you're just so struggling to just surrender to him and trust him uh, to come and say oh God you just, you just want to let go of some of your rebellion and some of your stubbornness and say oh God touch me and uh so I if I just close your eyes for just a moment and uh, we're going to have the prayer teams are up forward. But again, for those of you willful and stubborn, you come, you know who you are, and God is touching you by the Holy Spirit. That you would come forward and let us pray for you. So, Lord, I pray your blessing right now in this room. That, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would descend. And you would make our soil good. And you would break through, Lord, every lie from hell. Every chain that's been put on your people in this room. And, Lord, you'd break those chains off in the name of Jesus. I pray at this altar ministry time here, God, you'd set your people free. I pray, Lord, for those who don't know you in this room or aren't sure they know you, Lord, because they've been running through limits. And today you've come, Lord. I pray they would come and receive you, Lord, today. Repent and turn their lives over to you. But, Father, set us free that we be on the earth, Lord. We really sing that you are good and your love endures forever. Even when it seems, Lord, like it's not working, but you are good. So receive right now power from heaven. Receive, let his face shine upon you and flood your being And may His Spirit rest upon you as you go forth out of here. And I bless you all in Jesus' name. Amen.